Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello, hello, hello. Sorry, let me just adjust my camera there. So I'm staring right down the barrel to speak to you all. Um, hello, welcome to the show. Well, okay, we've now had over a month of absolutely horrendous bloodshed, a terrible atrocity currently being committed against the people of Gaza. Um, well over 10,000 people have now been killed. That is likely to be an underestimate. I say that because there's been an attempt to downplay the figures, including led by President Joe Biden, on the grounds that the health industry is run by Hamas. Uh, in previous outbreaks of violence, um, those final death tolls have been validated by both Israel and the United Nations. In any case, the identification numbers, names and ages of those killed have been released. But actually, it's likely to be an underestimate because I'm sorry to say this, but many of those killed are lying under rubble and they've been lying under rubble for quite a while. And... Therefore, um, Euromed monitors based in Geneva, uh, human rights, Euromed human rights monitors, um, believe the death toll is now well over 13,000. The IDF have actually been boasting and saying it's around 20,000. That was quoted in the Israeli press. In any case, a truly horrendous massacre is currently taking place in which vast numbers of innocent people are being killed. And they've been killed every single day. And they have been killed with the active support of the British government, the British opposition, and most of the British media. It is one of the most grotesque sights of my lifetime. It is important, as I've been doing, to elevate the voices we need to be hearing. And I hope you've been seeing many of the interviews I've been doing, whether that be with Palestinian voices, of course, um, Israeli peace activists, including a refusenik soldier, someone sorry, who was imprisoned for, ser- for refusing to serve in the army because of her courageous objection to the occupation. Um, here, Jewish peace activists, uh, British Palestinian, American Palestinian activists. Um, so it's important we hear those voices because they're being dehumanized, uh, particularly so Palestinian voices, I should say. Um, and the dehumanization, the racist dehumanization of the Palestinians is not even subtle. Let's be, it's not subtle. There is no attempt to pretend that Palestinian life has any equal worth whatsoever. I interviewed a Palestinian journalist this week, some of you may have seen, 23 members of his family killed by the Israeli army. I don't even know how it's humanly possible to grieve for 23 loved ones at the same time. I don't know how the brain has the capacity to grieve for 23 people who are in your family at the same time. Just don't know how that's possible. Those are the sorts of horrors which are now being suffered by Palestinians every single day. And that is happening on the basis of serious, multiple, egregious violations of international law, of the norms, the legal norms, which govern warfare. As many of you have seen, I interviewed the UN Special Rapporteur 
on human rights in the occupied Palestinian territories, Francesca Albanese, and she went through in great detail why these are war crimes. And indeed, we have multiple experts warning of the threat of genocide. You have to listen to genocide scholars, UN special rapporteurs, and, uh, you know, journalists who've gone through genocides, um, legal scholars when they warn of genocide. You don't just push that side. This is a catastrophe of a sort which, well, it's difficult to put into words. And as I keep saying, the Israeli government and Israeli officials aren't being subtle. They're being very clear about their intentions when they quote genocidal passages from the Bible, when they call for the Gaza to be reduced to a city of tents, uh, when they say they're fighting human animals, they're going to eliminate everything. And um, when they talk about ethnically cleansing the Gaza Strip entirely, annexing its land, not subtle. If you were going to have a war crimes tribunal, you wouldn't have to sift through secret documents. You would literally just have to listen to what they say. I say all this because there is an attempt in Britain, a cynical, a blatant, and as I say, not subtle attempt to shift the moral outrage away from those who, sorry, who support this massacre, who feel morally exposed. Turns out lots of people, regardless of political persuasions, don't take that kindly to watching innocent children being blown apart by missiles on a daily basis. They're trying to say the real outrageous extremists are those opposed to war crimes, opposed to slaughtering children, opposed to wiping an entire area off the face of the map. Um, not the, the, and the moderates are the people who support violating international law and raining hellfire down on innocent children. And that's why they're trying to ban the protests um, and, and, you know, this idea that suddenly on, uh, on, uh, on, on, on Armistice Day, we can't argue for an armistice. And um, apparently on Armistice Day, we all remember, of course, when Armistice Day previously fell on a Saturday, we were not allowed to do anything. Uh, and, and, you know, when, when actually what happens is you have a two-minute silence and then life carries on as normal. Anyway, that's enough for me. I've left my guests waiting far too long. If you're watching live, do press like and subscribe. Uh, do you keep the show on the road at patreon.com for slash as ever. Do you super chat so as I can see people doing? Um, and I will get through those as best as I can. I'll go back to them very shortly. Let me bring in the brilliant uh, June Pang from Liberty, who is obviously a, everyone will know about Liberty, human rights organization, and um, you know the law <laughs> when it comes to protests, for example. Thank you, Jim, by the way, for joining us. No um, worries, Bill. Thanks so much for having me. Can I just quickly put a very quick, there's a 39 seconds from a from ITV, I think, on Monday, which just basically sets out Suella Braverman's position, the government's position, um, and the Metropolitan Police warning protesters or trying to tell protesters not to have a protest on Saturday. Let's just hear from that. In my mind, there's only one way to describe those marches. They are hate marches. What the police have made clear is that they are concerned that there's a large number of bad actors who are deliberately operating beneath the criminal threshold. Today, senior Scotland Yard officers met with organisers of Saturday's planned protest and told them they were worried about breakaway groups intent on fueling disorder. However, the campaigners declined to postpone the demo. In a direct message to the organisers tonight, police said, Please, we ask you to urgently reconsider. It is not appropriate to hold any protests in London this weekend. 
So, Jude, just on that, this was that was on Monday, and actually the Metropolitan Police has so far declined to ban the protest. They did basically a statement saying we don't want you to do the protest. They haven't banned them, and they don't believe they have the legal position to do so. Can I just tell you what you just think, first of all, about the government's pressure on the Metropolitan Police, including Suella Bravham and the Home Secretary's rhetoric about the protest and where you kind of just what you think about that context? Thank you so much, Owen, and thank you again for, for having me on. I think that the Home Secretary and indeed the Prime Minister's statements regarding um, Saturday's protest are incredibly dangerous and really should send a chill down everyone's spine who cares about civil liberties in this country. Um, you have a situation here where the police have said that they don't have the necessary um, intelligence to kind of uh, to mean that um, a ban is actually um, necessary. Um, and but continually, we have seen the government um, pile on the pressure, it seems, um, on the police to to try and stop this march from happening. And I think that, um, you know, not only does this impinge on the operational independence of the police. And, and I think we are seeing this tension play out um, even in the last 24 hours, but more broadly in the context of the government clamping down on freedom of expression, introducing anti-protest laws, this is something that should really worry us all. I mean, just in terms of um, this attempt to ban a protest because it's on Armistice Day, even though the protest is one minute and 45 minutes after the two minute silence begin, uh, ends, or well, begins, begins and ends, um, that it doesn't go anywhere near the armistice, uh, sorry, anywhere near the cenotaph, um, uh, that it, 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 it starts two miles away, then ends further away. Um, I mean, it's just that they're trying to produce a basis, which is about kind of the, the potential for something which for which there is no evidence. The idea that there were, that this would be, an attempt to attack war memorials, and that's why it needs to be shut down or violate the two-minute silence when it when it doesn't. I mean, this. What do you just think, just in terms of the legal position of of I mean, the legal footing of what they're trying to do here? I think it's an incredibly. I mean, it, it seems tenuous, and it would seem wildly disproportionate um, to to ban um, the march. Um, on the basis that, uh, you know, obviously the police have said that they'll continue assessing the situation, but as it stands, banning a protest um, in this in these circumstances would be incredibly disproportionate. And of course, the protest organizers themselves have said repeatedly that, as you say, they're going nowhere near the cenotaph. They're marching a few hours afterwards. Um, they've agreed a route that, you know, they've publicized on their social media that again goes nowhere near the cenotaph. And so it's really, I think, difficult to see how um, a ban would be proportionate in these circumstances where the organizers have done, it seems, everything they can to ensure that. Um, it goes smoothly. And the police, of course, have a duty to facilitate the right to protest. And a ban should only be the last possible resort, um, at least, you know, according to the law.
So, I mean, if we think about the precedents for banning protests, because that has happened, and they've been, that's been the case, for example, with various far-right demonstrations, which has specifically often gone through... So, for example, the English Defence League seeking to march through a predominantly Muslim community. Um, so you have had bans of protests before in very specific circumstances. Yes, that's true and absolutely right. Um, and uh, it is true that um, these powers, Section 13 of the Public Order Act 1986, have been used before. Um, but in our knowledge uh, and in our view at Liberty, um, we don't think these powers have been used on a protest of this scale before. And um, I think it's also worth noting that Yes, there are precedents for um, the use of the Section 13 power, but I think a more kind of recent example of um, an illustration of, of what might actually happen is actually um, the Sarah Everard vigil, which the Met um, banned uh, two years ago. And now we know that, well, at the time, we believed that it was um, you know, unlawful and not in line with human rights, and the court has since vindicated that. Um, but I think the shocking scenes of what happened afterwards shows what happens when um, the police take a really heavy-handed approach to protest that doesn't respect um, fundamental rights. Um, and you know, we're we were incredibly concerned, and and to be honest, still are that if um, eventually a ban does happen, that we could see similar scenes um, of really. Uh, violent police activity. Um, and we really hope that um, this will not happen. I mean, indeed, on that, David Barato asks, well, Cruella Bravo in there, is an authoritarian no form of empathy? What are the chances of deploying the police anyway against the protest? Orgreave, and for those who don't know what that refers to, the Battle of Orgreave was a notorious incident during the miners' strike in which miners were attacked viciously by the police in an atmosphere, it must be said, when striking miners were widely demonised by both politicians and the media. So a climate, a context existed. And we're seeing today how those who protest in support of Palestinians are being demonized. Um, I mean, what do you think? Do you think this could lay the foundations or an attempt to deter? Because I don't, I'm worried about saying all this. So I don't want to deter people from turning up. And I worry that's part of what they're doing here. Um, I mean, you know, I think you really need to, um, consider the the uh you know the fact that in the in previous weeks in the i guess throughout the last month um the home secretary has made statements effectively encouraging the police um to abuse and overextend um in the exercise of their powers to the extent that the met actually had to issue um a kind of correction or, or statement to say that, for example, um, no flying a Palestinian flag or um, is not in and of itself a criminal offense. Um, and of course, uh, there already have been arrests of previous at previous protests. And um, I think what is really concerning, though, in the in light of the circumstances and the government pressure on the police um, throughout the last week 
is that um, the protest may be policed incredibly heavily. Um, and so it's really vital that people know their rights, but also know fundamentally that they do have the right to protest and their rights have not changed um, in the last week. I mean, on that, the other thing I just want to ask is we are hearing about far extremists who are seeking to mobilize their supporters. I would say that the government and the media have played a very dangerous game in whipping up hatred against those who protest against Palestine, uh, sorry, protest against what's happening to the Palestinian people. Um, a lot of the far activists are echoing, frankly, a lot of what the government is saying about Palestinian protesters, and they've been given basically, they're being dripped, they're being legitimized. Um, but that then they'll end up saying that because far-right activists are mobilizing, that they're going to ban the protest on the basis of disorder. So they whip up far-right extremists who then mobilize people, and then they say, well, the danger of clashes means we'll ban the protest. What do you think? Is that a, a possible scenario? I think that it's obviously a really um, delicate situation. I think that it's the the Home Secretary's statements have been, um, in our view, incredibly inflammatory um, in terms of calling, for example, the protests of the last few weeks hate marches. Um, and what government should be doing at this point um, is leading clearly and responsibly um, and not, you know, trying to stoke up further division, which is what we fear that it has already done in its statements, but that a ban um, would definitely inflame um, should it actually happen. And we really hope that it won't. Gee, thank you so much for going through that. I just, I think, very carefully just explaining the legal position and also what the context, the broader context, what the government's been doing. Liberty do such fantastic work. Uh, I've, every time I write any article about the attack on the right to protest and the attack on our freedoms, which has been taking place over the last few years, often by people who claim that the threat to free speech um, comes from the left, when actually we have a government clamping down on our basic hard-won rights. So thank you, June. Honestly, I really, really appreciate it as ever. So thank you so much for joining us. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks very much. Cheers. Take Bye, care. Thank you. Uh, great stuff. We have, by the way, shortly joining us, um, Dr. Hosni Girafi Mobini, who is a an NS, NHS anaesthetist, but also a former Labour councillor who resigned. I want to talk about that, uh, talk to her as well, because um, Imran Hussein, uh, the former shadow minister for the New Deal for Working People, has resigned from the Labour front bench in protest at the refusal of the Labour leadership to support a ceasefire. And um, I hope that he is the first of many other front benches uh, to resign. I know of other front benches um, who obviously are angry about the current position, and I hope that they will show courage and leadership in the same way Imran Hussein has and come out and resign. Um, I'll, just in terms of uh, other super chats, this is an important point here. M FSM is the dog. Don't forget the BBC flipping the coverage. What FSM is the dog is referring to there is a battle of all grieve again when miners were attacked on horseback by the police. Um, and this is an instructive example um, which we should always be mindful of. 
Um, the police were the aggressors. They charged on horseback against the miners and they nearly they could have killed those miners. And people quite rightly uh, draw a link between Orgreave and Hillsborough in that the way the police were allowed to behave um, in South Yorkshire um, against the Orgreave, against striking miners Orgreave, the demonization of working class people, miners, and then that provided a context for them to be attacked. And the BBC coverage made it look like the miners attacked the police because they put the footage in a different order. So just beware, that's how the media behave. I wrote about that actually at length in, I think, the establishment um, a few years ago. But that is one example of how the media and the police work in tandem often when it comes to demonising protesters. Um, and there's lots of other very disturbing examples of that as well. Uh, David Brass said, well, we talk it, my, my expectations for Biden and Starmer were always pretty low, but wow, they're bad. Yeah, I keep saying that Joe Biden nearly came across, could nearly nearly eked out the least bad US president since World War II, which actually, if you go through those presidents, you know, because, you know, the, the, the slaughter of Southeast Asia by Democratic presidents who began all that, for example, in the 1960s. But nonetheless, um, yeah, well, he's not going to win that position, is he? Um, thank you for speaking for the Palestinians, uh, Palestinians with the world's leader speaking. We appreciate you. Well, what I'm just going to do before we bring in our next guest um, I'm just going to give an example. Just this is actually really important. This is a brilliant um, nurse, an American nurse who was in Gaza, who was interviewed on CNN. Let's just listen to what she said, because we really do need to hear these voices. Would you go back to Gaza? In a heartbeat. In an absolute heartbeat. Uh, my heart is in Gaza. It will stay in Gaza. The Palestinian people that I worked with, both our national staff in the office, as well as my staff at Indonesia Hospital, were some of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life. Um, when everything went off um, and we got the notice to move south of Wadi Gaza, I was texting my, my nurses at Indonesia Hospital and I said, we, we lost a nurse weekend one. Um, he was killed when the ambulance outside the hospital was blown up. And I was texting them when we got the evacuation orders. And I said, did any of you move south? Did any of you get out? Like, are any of you coming down this way? And the only answer I got was, this is our community. This is our family. These are our friends. If they're going to kill us, we're going to die saving as many people as we can. And I said, if I can ever have an ounce of the heart that you have, I will, I will die a happy person. They were incredible that my doctors and nurses didn't leave out of loyalty to their community. And I know that there is an idea being pushed right now that anyone that stayed behind is going to be considered some kind of a threat. And I want to remind people that the people that stayed behind are heroes. The people that stayed behind are, are they know they're going to die and they're choosing to stay behind anyway. You're talking about doctors, nurses in the hospital. I wake up every morning and I send out a text message and I ask, are you alive? And every night before I go to sleep, I send another message and says, are you alive? Well, Kelly, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Just an example of just, I mean, the reason that's so important is just the deliberate and systematic attempt to dehumanize the Palestinian people in Gaza and this is a precondition. It's always a precondition for the mass slaughter of the sort that we're currently seeing. You know, I would refer people, and I, this is not hyperbolic, a journalist who covered the Rwandan genocide made this point about the demonization there, which took place by media outlets, talk of 
you know, the, the, the de how people were dehumanized was a precondition for what happened. I want to give you something else as well. This is a press conference held by Palestinian children begging to live. Since the 7th of October, we face extermination, killing, bombing falling over our heads. All, all of this of front of the world. They lie to the world that they kill the parties, but they kill the people of Gaza. Their dreams and their future. Kids of Gaza run out of death once and once. We come to Al Shifa Hospital to keep us from bombing. We suddenly run out of death more after bombing the hospital. The occupation is starving us. We don't find water, food, and and we drink from the unusable water. We come now to shout and invite you to protect us. We want to live, we want peace. We want to judge the killers we, of, of children. We want medicine, food, and education. And we want to live as the other children live. Now, well over 4,000 children have been killed, but according to the estimates of Euromed Human Rights Monitors, the independent human rights organization based in uh, Geneva, um, it's likely that around 5,500 children in Gaza have now been killed since this began. And that's because the official estimates do not include those children who are now lying dead beneath rubble and who, whose bodies cannot be retrieved in a tiny strip of land, no bigger than East London, where those sorts of attempts to retrieve bodies are logistically very difficult and resource and time consuming, given everything that they are currently up against. So I just think it's, again, important to you know, these are these are children. These are children like any other children, like children who many of you are, have par are parents or grandparents or have nephews and nieces like I do. Little kids, very similar wherever they are, who are being killed in the most horrendous way possible and who are being maimed, who are losing their parents, their, their siblings, their loved ones, who are being traumatized, who don't have access 
to clean water who are being amputated without anesthetic. Um, and that goes as well for mothers who are giving birth without anything other than the comfort of the brave, courageous doctors and nurses in Gaza, who many of whom have been killed as they try their best uh, to save to save lives. I just want to give something hopeful as well, because I know we're just waiting a lot of the guests. I just want to give, you know, there is within, um, this is in Israel proper, um, rather than the areas there under illegal occupation, um, in Haifa, um, standing together, which brings together Israeli Jews and Palestinian citizens of Israel, um, and this is a peace movement that brings these communities together. And I just want to show you, because I've interviewed Alon Lee. If you look up Alon Lee Green's interview with me, um, you'll see, because we, we do always have to talk about hope here. And the only hope that exists is a peaceful settlement which provides security for uh, Jews and Palestinians um, alike. Um, and this peace movement is absolutely key to that possible future. So let's just listen. We just had an amazing event tonight with hundreds of Jewish and Arab Palestinian citizens coming together and speaking in a very direct way about an Israeli-Palestinian peace, about Jewish-Arab partnership, about resisting killing innocent children and people in Gaza. And this is the only way, the only way to create a different reality here. It's the only way to create a reality where we're not going from one war to the other, from one violent escalation to another another violent escalation, we say to our government, stop leading us into more death. Start talking to us about life. The only way to achieve safety and security is by ending the occupation of millions of people in Palestine. And yes, we need to deal with Hamas, but we shouldn't threaten Hamas. And whenever we kill more innocent children, it strengthens the extremists like Hamas. So please, dear Israeli government, let us go in a different direction. Our way is the only way for peace, the only way for life. Just on that, I think it's just such a really important point there um, at the end uh, made there, which is that counterinsurgency programs of this type are horrific in their consequences, but they also fail on their own terms. That's what historic, that's what history shows. Um, because there isn't a military solution to what is a political issue. Um, Hamas uh, was strengthened in the first place for two main reasons. Firstly, the secular Palestinian liberation movements, uh, Palestinian liberation organization, which gave up the armed struggle in the early 90s, and it had nothing to show for it. Um, and that obviously they were brutally undermined by Israel, who allowed them to have this diminished power uh, which they have in the West Bank, where they have they're allowed the most absurdly low um, powers because the West Bank is under occupation, um, Israeli occupation, um, and the desperation of the Palestinian people only grew, um, as well as the fact that, um, as Haaretz, the Israeli newspaper, has underlined, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu encouraged and nurtured and supported Hamas on the basis it would divide the Palestinian movement because there could never be an independent Palestine if you had divided rule where you have Fatah, the secular movement in the West Bank, and Hamas in Gaza where they're opponents and therefore you have permanent division.
Um, and, you know, that is obviously a very important context. But the point is about these so-called counterinsurgency programs is what they do and what they're doing is brutalizing people. You, you, you leave huge numbers of people traumatized and furious. Um, they watch their loved ones brutally slayed. They hold their dead children in their arms and they do not end up concluding that submission to the state of Israel is in their, is something they will ever wish to do. Instead, they feel they want often, I think revenge is the wrong word, but they obviously are far less likely or amenable to any idea of any sense of peace with Israel. Of course they wouldn't. Would you? Of course you wouldn't. I mean, that's why these counterinsurgency programs fail. And I am sick to death of having to listen to people who brought us, for example, Afghanistan, where we had a counterinsurgency program for two decades, which ended with the Taliban stronger than ever, acting as though they know what the hell they're talking about. Because there isn't the basis for this. Or what they did, for example, Al-Qaeda in Iraq, not even the same context. You know, Al-Qaeda in Iraq is not the same as, 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 a, as a, you know, a, a decades-long occupation and brutalization at the hands of one particular um, other state. Uh, but Al-Qaeda were put down by a so-called counterinsurgency program, the noughties. Do you know what happened? Al ISIS came along. They were even worse. People thought it couldn't get any worse than Al-Qaeda. Oops, that was unfortunate. Al-Qaeda thought ISIS were too extreme. We ended up with ISIS. And huge numbers of people died in the aftermath. That's what happens. I mean, when they say Hamas is ISIS, lack of imagination on their part, to say the least. Um, now, uh, just quickly, we did have Hosni joining a counsellor, and we were just, I'm just checking because they haven't, haven't appeared. What I am, um, I'm about to, uh, the reason we might have to wrap up earlier, because they, she hasn't arrived, is um, I've got to go on, uh, on Sky News at 7 on Sophie Ridge's programme. The last time I was on Sophie Ridge's programme, um, I was on with Margaret Hodge at the beginning or towards the beginning of this nightmare. I'm sure some of you watched that particular um, incident unfold. Um, this time I'm on with Liam Fox, who is a um, Conservative MP. Before we, if we probably do have a wrap up, before I do, I do, I do want to say something about Saturday. They are trying to deter people from turning up. We need to be very clear about what's going on here. You know, they, firstly, they're trying to claim that the real moral disgraces um, is. Um, I think Hosni is about to join us quick, quick, quickly, by the way. So we'll have a few minutes with Hosni. Uh, the real moral disgraces are those who support um, uh, the, or oppose a brutal massacre. And what they're trying to do is they know that the British government um, is complicit in what's happening. We arm and back Israel. Um, and if Britain ends up being forced to shift its position, like Spain and Ireland, then that will encourage other governments to do the same. Um, it's very, very, very important um, that we are not frightened or from going to this protest. We don't fear that we're being stigmatised. We, we have the majority of public opinion on our side. The polling is very clear. A large majority want a ceasefire and a large majority do not support the horrors being unleashed against the Palestinian people in Gaza. It doesn't mean people were not horrified by what Hamas did on the 7th of October. They just do not believe that the response to that is to kill at least 10 times more people and counting, bearing in mind that the current death toll will only be a fraction of the final death toll as things stand, unless there is a dramatic shift in course. 
So it's so important that we all march together, that we rebut the lies. This is a march which begins at 12.45, nowhere near the two-minute silence. It's marching nowhere near the cenotaph. It's marching from Hyde Park to the U.S. Embassy. It will have a large Jewish contingent. There is a Jewish block, which is meeting at a specific um, location. Um, I've written a piece for The Guardian, by the way. If you go to The Guardian uh, opinion website, I've written a piece uh, just going through all this, this nonsense about Armistice Day as though, you know, it's disrespectful to the dead. Do you know what's disrespectful to the dead? Because using um, the dead, so I think of, for example, my great, you know, like lots of Brits, I lost relatives in both wars. My great, great uncle uh, was killed at the age of 19, mowed down on the Somme. Uh, my grandfa- my great-grandfather um, was killed, sorry, died died in the Royal Navy in 1942 in World War II and is buried as well in the, in the Commonwealth, Commonwealth uh, graves. My grandfather uh, survived his boat being bombed twice in the Atlantic by the Nazis. He was part of the Merchant Navy, was second worst attrition after the RAF, which kept the country from starved, being starved to death uh, by the Nazis during World War II. He survived 10 days in an open boat. Uh, one of my, again, my, one of my great uncles was has got a medal for his heroism. It's no disrespect to those people to demand an armistice, an armistice day, or to remember all those who are being killed in war and to stop other people from suffering the horrors of war. And actually, what's really disrespectful is this. They're not doing this because it's Armistice Day. Armistice Day, when it falls on a Saturday, people have always just got on with their lives. They've always gone to the pub. People, on What will happen on Armistice Day, just so everyone knows, the pubs will be full of people getting pissed. Sure, there'll be a few fights, normally is. Clubs, nightclubs across the country. Football games. They have football matches all, all the way through Saturday. Went Look through the fixtures. Multiple football games going on. Again, the vast majority will be peaceful peaceful fa- football fans. There'll be some trouble. There'll be some idiots. There always is when you get a large crowd. You wouldn't ban an entire, you wouldn't ban football matches on that basis, would you? Of course you wouldn't. So that life continues as normal, but they suddenly plucked out of their asses the idea that Armistice Day, you can't have a protest in support of peace, which is n- just a nonsense. And what they're doing is this. They just want to ban the protest because they don't like the message. They don't like what it's arguing for. So they're thinking, aha, we can use Armistice Day as an excuse. So what they're doing is disrespecting the dead. They're disrespecting the dead soldiers. They're using them as political props. They're hiding behind the dead in order to try and damage a movement arguing for peace and for the end of mass slaughter of children. It is so obvious and transparent. They're the disrespectful ones. And they're the ones who should be morally disgraced. But I think I'm going to have to wrap up just because I do have to go and do Sky News. Hosni was going to join us and said she's going to join us, but I just don't think we have time, unfortunately. But I will try and uh, interview Hosni another time instead. Uh, please like and subscribe. We've got loads of interviews uh, in the coming uh, d- every day. We've got videos every day. We've got loads of interviews coming up. Um, so do hold on for those, including Palestinians, including got an Israeli soldier who was in Gaza in 2014 who opposes the war and will speak through what's going. Uh, just quickly as well, um, Tad Campbell is telling Poppy has become a symbol of British nationalism with an eye football players in the UK handed not wearing it. Absurd. Um, and um, uh, here we go. David Bratter, how do you think his Labour would respond to large social movements and protests when the government would be more willing to listen or would it be something like the Tories or worse? Well, I suppose that's the question people have to ask, because at the moment, the Labour Island have a lot more pressure than the Tories. Let me just think, because Hosni is actually here. Hey, Hosni, how are you doing? How, how are you? 
I'm sorry. It's just been a bit hectic. I can imagine. Don't worry. I totally understand. I totally understand. You, you're extremely busy and, and you know, given the context, I'd be not surprising. I, I'll have to be quick, but that's fine. I just wanted to speak to you uh, quickly because I've, I've got to rush off as well um, to argue with a conservative on television <laughs> um, so for whatever I did in a past life. Not good. Um, just again, so everyone's clear, everyone's clear. Hosney has two hats. Um, Hosney is a former now Labour councillor. Um, and sorry, where are you based again, Hosney? I knew this, but I just in forgot. Oxford, in Oxford. That's right. You're, not, yeah. you're one of the one of the great Oxford councillors, um, and I've interviewed, um, of course, one of your colleagues who also resigned. Um, and you're also a uh, NHS anaesthetist. Is that right? That's right. Yes. I'm Yeah. I just want to ask you just quickly a few questions before I go. Um, so firstly, just I'm, I'd be interested just your take now. We've got the first shadow minister resigning, um, Imran Hussein, um, up in Greater Manchester. So what's your take on that that, resi that resignation? I mean, I, I'm not surprised he's resigned. I am uh, not surprised that people with good conscience are speaking out and are resigning because what is unfolding before us is absolutely horrific. Some of the messages I got today, this morning, when I opened my phone, before work, it's actually kind of hard to repeat. Um, you know, and any doctor from Gaza messaged us to say that he, that that morning, that day, he had seen three of his colleagues dead. One was a pregnant colleague, arrived dead. Another colleague who'd been killed whilst at work. A third colleague had been beheaded by an Israeli shell. I mean, it's actually difficult to like read these things and then carry on with your normal work, I'll be honest with you, because it's just absolutely horrific. And um, I don't want to, you know, obviously we know all the words that are being repeated by the UN and various organisations, but it's just absolutely horrific. It, by the way, it is difficult to hear that, but it is important to say, I think, increasingly. I mean, I've you, you've kind of toyed what you said because you don't want to traumatise people, but the level of dehumanisation is so important. People do need to know the reality of what's actually happening, yeah. what what this massacre actually means in practical terms. I mean, I'm just interested in that in terms of, you know, because obviously you resigned from Labour, um, there's a, there's a political consensus. The Conservatives and Labour have lined up behind this horror show. And it just strikes me, you know, the dehumanisation of Palestinians and that this is, I think, one of the most shocking episodes I've seen, that, just that element. There's not yeah. even a pretense they have equal, their lives matter. No, I mean, it's just there's too many examples to name, really, from, like, died and killed, you know, from the use of language to the way... We're not allowed to even use the words of, you know, UN. I just, I was just on the Vanessa Feltz show, and I was, and I said the word genocide as according to the UN and human rights organisations, and she didn't. She got very angry and didn't allow me to speak after that. So this is, you know, this is absolutely unbelievable the level of dehumanisation that we're facing. But the stories are real and they are touching so many people. You know, there's a, another colleague of ours who's a doctor who came to Oxford, uh, and he was killed with 42 members of his family. So a doctor. Mesara was killed with 42 members of his family, including his uh, his sisters, his parents, you know, whole families wiped out. And I, I'm, again, I can hardly bring myself to bring you this next bit, but to, to tell you this next bit. But his brothers who were looking for their dead bodies under the rubble for 48 hours were then hit by a different Israeli airstrike, by a different Israeli airstrike and were killed. I mean, it's actually... Hard to believe that this is all happening live on our on our TV, you know, on our on our media, basically. And that's why everyone needs to do everything they can. Write through representatives, you know, come to come to the demos, any peaceful means, you know, BDS. You need to think about what you're doing to support 
to make your voices heard because this cannot be on our conscience. And well, it is on our conscience, but we need to make sure that our voices heard are heard within this disgusting warmongering, disgusting warmongering. And a pause, and that word, the pause, it just makes no sense. I actually, because I'm a medic, I spend a lot of time with normal people who are not in the labor bubbles and in the kind of, you know, in, they don't spend that much time with other political thinkers or whatever. And they, it's not a word that makes any sense to them. They often say that about politicians. Humanitarian pause makes no sense. So the doctors and the healthcare workers in Gaza are telling us, so you're going to feed and nourish us for a bit and then bomb and maim us again. It's absolutely unbelievable. And labor would do well to actually stand by the words they talk about and they espouse. They talk about equality, but where is that equality that they talk of? It's absolutely disgusting. I can see some of the comments that I just saw you and Vanessa show shocked about how she spoke to you when you mentioned genocide. Just, you know. um, just, just finally, there is this deliberate attempt at the moment to demonise protesters who yeah. stand with the Palestinian people during what is a horrendous atrocity of historic proportions. Um, an attempt to say the real, as I keep saying, the morally disgraceful people aren't the people who support massacring innocent children um, and other innocent civilians. It's not just children, of course, who are innocent, men and women who are being slaughtered um, in Gaza. Um, that the real extremists, the people who oppose murder and the moderates are the people who support the mass murder. Um, but they're trying to, I think, you know, they're obviously they're trying to shut down the protest, but they're trying to find people not going. So what do you say? People are looking at all this and they're like, well, actually, I'm just scared. I, I'm really angry. I'm upset. I find this traumatizing, but I'm scared to go. What would you say? Honestly, like, just find a friend who is going, just get in touch with someone you know who's going. I know people of all faiths and no faiths. You know, I've been there with my young children to the to the protests. You know, I know lots of people going. So please just get in touch with a virtual person or a real person you know in real life who's going and just go along with them. There is nothing scary. It's absolutely, I think this is actually this demonization of protests is actually really horrifying. It really shows a depth that, we are prepared to go to to prevent people's democratic voices being heard and preventing us from having a real voice in our political spheres and in our social spheres and actually that is a reason in itself to go if you really believe in our hard fought for rights to be able to to participate in a democracy then you need to go there on saturday to make your voices heard please also follow gaza medic voices if you know of any healthcare workers please, please get them to follow God's Medic Voices and please get them to sign the urgent petition we have launched to calling for a ceasefire coming from healthcare workers because so many healthcare workers, about around 200 have been killed so far, so many more injured. And that is actually obviously essential to people's well-being. It's not just a suffering and death to their families, but the fact that it's essentially the people that do the caring for that are also being killed. Amen. So important to say. And I've, I've been so lucky to have so many of you from uh, Gaza Medic Voices each week now during this whole horror. And I'll be sharing that petition just so people are aware. It's so important. Amazing work that you will do. Thank you so much for joining us, Hosni. Um, really, really appreciate it. I know things are really busy at the moment, um, but I'm glad you were just able to join us and to, to share to share all of that. But I will um, I'll speak to you. But, but lots of love. Take care. Solidarity. Thanks so much again. Cheers. Thanks. Great, great stuff there. Okay, so I bet I, I do better like it because I, I have to get to you know, um to the studios now. And uh just so people are aware, I'll be there at seven uh seven till eight with Liam Fox and I will be doing Jeremy Vine or the cha channel five shows with Alexis Conran. So the Alexis Conran show tomorrow um at 
uh, let me work it out. I think it's 12, 12.30, 12.30 on Channel 5 onwards. And I'm sure we'll be talking about this. And after the protest, I've been Good Morning Britain on Monday morning. So I'm sure we'll be talking a lot from 6.30 a.m. Um, about the protests. But otherwise, I've got lots of videos and interviews coming up. Um, keep using your voices, everyone. It's really important. This this is as important as it gets. Um, and however horrible this is, we do have public opinion on our side. We just need to build that. And I just think as the atrocities and horrors become ever clearer to people, um, you know, we will inflict a, we must inflict a political price on those who are responsible for this, for those who in politics and the media have become accomplices to mass murder on an industrial scale. They didn't face accountability over the horrors of Iraq and Libya and Afghanistan. They walk from crime scene to crime scene, soaked in blood, asking for yet more blood. And every single time they deliver catastrophe, catastrophe, catastrophe. And suddenly they want us to believe this time will be different as they mow down innocent men, women and children and wipe Gaza off the face of the earth. And they think that will provide peace and justice. It won't. And it will not do anything other than set the scene for even more horrors, not just now, but for generations to come. So it's important that we fight this. Okay. Um, press like and subscribe. Do share the video. Um, it's great to get those voices out. Uh, as I say, I'll be back with videos all the way, pretty much every day. Um, and... Yes, what's the picture? Gone full slash Jersey Four. Thanks to on Super Chats had Campbell, David Browater, Christine Bark, um, Elania uh, Basuti, FSM is the dog, uh, Andy Ram. Um, yeah, and if you are going to tune in the Sky News, I will see you in about one hour ten minutes. Um, if you're watching live, lots of love, everyone. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs>